0: Wow! Wow! Is this thing working? Is this thing streaming? Are we live? This is Tech 37 Live. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. My name is Rob Boyd. Oh, is the music too loud? I always worry about that. We're figuring this out as we go along, and having so much fun doing it. Oh, let me just turn that down just a bit. It's live, as you can tell, and this is the first time we've done it, and it's got so much. We have so much good stuff for you guys today. Uh, let me set this up for you, and start with a question, which is: Do you know the difference between an automaton, not automation, an automaton and a robot. You see, an automaton is a mechanical device made in imitation of a human being, whereas a robot is often described as a machine resembling a human being, which is able to replicate certain human movements and functions automatically. So automaton may just be one letter away from spelling automation, but it's still not a robot. Now here's the tie-in. Many traditional IT operations can be slow to recognize that skilled personnel like yourself end up doing the same tasks. Although they may be critical, they're doing them over and over again, and it's not hard to imagine how this time could be better spent. You see, automation, not automaton, is the goal, the real goal, and IT infrastructure has never been more ready for automation. So that's what we're gonna talk about today because getting started can sometimes be a little bit intimidating. We get questions, what skills are the most valuable? When is it the right, when is the right time to ask for help? I have a lot of questions and today's guests are gonna be weighing in with their answers. We're gonna see if we can reach some kind of a consensus. Hey, welcome to Tech 37 Live, your home for technology, education, and collaboration from worldwide technology. Let's go meet the experts. Here we go. Well, hello, experts. A few button press issues with me as we're getting our rhythm on. But it looks like we've got one, two, three, four experts, and that's what I was guaranteed we'd have. So I'm happy. I think this is going to work great. Thanks, you guys, for taking the time to do uh, this first live show. We've got a lot to talk about. I've got notes, and they're on paper, which means something official of some sort, but I thought, let's go through some introductions here. We got your names and your titles on, but what's behind the title? So starting in the upper left, let's everyone say hello to John. John, tell us a little bit about what you do and what brings you here.
1: Yeah, my name is John Callalang. I'm a solutions architect at F5. I've been at F5 for five years, a little over five years. Before that, I worked in IT, uh, basically every small, large IT shop in the Northwest. Uh, solving problems for a decade, right? Scripting, uh, becoming you know as as proficient as I could with different kinds of environments and tools, uh, and that's bringing me here because I have a lot of experience on what we did at F5 internally. Um, a lot of experience as a decade as an IT engineer, um, and I was a network engineer. So trying to bridge all of those you know roles, personas, and yeah. and friendly faces.
0: And if I'm not mistaken, you're you're part of. Uh, a team that's really leading a lot of these changes at F5 and, and really uh, contributing to the community, which is going to be a big theme for everything that we're talking about here. Um, but speaking of community and speaking of, of, of just companies that are doing a whole lot more in this area and sharing that knowledge, Kareem, you and I have worked together a number of different times through Cisco. Glad to have you here with us. Tell us a little bit about what you do and, and what you're responsible for.
2: Thanks, Rob, for having me. Uh, I'm Karim Iskander. I'm part of uh, Cisco DevNet. I've been with Cisco for, geez, 12 years. Uh, I've always been the developer within Cisco. Um, Never really did a lot of uh, networking, even though Cisco is a networking company. Um, When they said they're starting a developer program, it only made sense for me to join. So I was one of the very first um, people to start the DevNet Program within Cisco, uh, it's been, it's been one heck of a ride. Uh, it's yeah. been fun. Uh, I learned a lot. Um, I focus, I'm a developer advocate. I focus on enterprise networking. Um, so you can talk to me about Cisco DNA center, Meraki, uh, you name it. We can talk APIs and orchestration. And, um, I make beer, uh, for, as Ooh. a hobby.
0: Why did that not come up earlier? And another, yeah, another thing in the column I put, shame we're not physically together <laughs> um, doing this. <laughs> but I'm going to note that for future because uh, that was my first experience with DevNet actually was because there was craft beer being brought in when DevNet was just a small section of Cisco Live. It's since grown quite a bit. I don't think they're doing the craft beer as much, but they're certainly not short on ideas for – for creatively introducing and educating people on the different ways to interact with our technology, which I love. Um, Well, let's keep moving. We got two experts from worldwide technology. Corey, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Yeah. So I'm on the other end of where cream came from. Uh, I consume the beer. I don't make the beer and I come from an infrastructure storage background. So as of right now, my current role, I am a technical solutions architect here at worldwide. I focus on everything infrastructure automation related. So that's everything from helping our customers kind of evaluate different tools, processes and their strategy for implementing automation, as well as helping them execute on that uh, as they as they move forward. Um, but yeah, it, like I said, my previous experience, I grew up as a storage admin, kind of converted myself into being a general infrastructure admin and engineer, and then moved into uh, a, you know an automation role where I made that transition. And so that's why I'm here today to have this discussion. Well,
0: you know, transition is really what I think a lot in our audience are looking at, and that's part of our discussion today, which is, well, what's the best way to transition? Because uh, I think it sounds like, and let's ask Tim this too, as you introduced yourself, but uh, it sounds like each one of you have done a lot of on-the-job education, translating maybe from something you did before, even with Kareem, with maybe a little bit more developer-focused, but as you bring that in, it's all about the developer uh, uh, integration that's happening across a, a set of sometimes more mature technologies as everything kind of gets working better together to integrate and automate, of course. But Tim, what's your background at Worldwide Technology?
4: Hi, Rob, thanks for having me. Uh, my background, I've been at WWT for a little over 14 years. So it's been a long time since I was in IT. And I think because of that, I uh, i really missed the wave. dissimilar um, uh, to uh, the other experts on getting on board with this automation thing. I, uh, so I went all in with Cisco DevNet last year oh. uh, and this year to try to get up to speed and uh, figure out, you know, how do I stop spending all sorts of time doing the same thing over and over again? Yeah. How do I get out of that mode and then how do I share what I learned with other people? And DevNet's been a good avenue for me to do that.
0: I'm so bad. I keep doing the same thing over and over again, thinking I need to improve this. And I, but once I get through this project, I'm going to go back, but this is not about my workflow. <laughs> um, so this is interesting, Tim, if you don't I, – because I, I didn't realize this coming in, but would you say – because I actually like this in terms of your understanding and, com- and c- contribution to the conversation. So you would say out of the panel here, you probably are the newest – um, to the uh, to, to the technical details and and uh, an experience because I think that's a good thing actually because I think you can reflect on things that are probably a little bit brighter and and uh, your flags are still going off on whoa, that's really interesting you know where these other guys might be a little bit more uh, burned out or whatever the terminology I
4: mean that in a right <laughs> No, I, I can say that uh, I have a year of experience with this automation yeah. thing. All right. uh, so most of yeah. my background is in traditional IT operations, network infrastructure Perfect. management. And um, yeah, so I'm new to this game.
0: Well, I like that. Well, as you guys heard in the setup, uh, you know, this is about, and I, I kind of went after this thing of automaton, because I, I realized that that it was only missing one letter to be automation. And automaton was kind of a precursor to robots, much more mechanical so I thought, hey, this is clever. It's going to make me sound smart when I put all this together. So if we're still on that track of making me look good, um, I was trying to also come up with a list because we were talking before Let's be honest, about what is the best way to kind of encapsulate um, uh, uh, information to share with people about the best way to move forward with their journey towards becoming, whether it's an individual looking to add more value to their own operation, whether they're looking to get a new job, whether they want to be on the, the edge of uh, being valuable because you know things are constantly changing, so what do you need to know going forward? And obviously, uh, in, a, in a real general sense, it's around developer skill sets, it feels like. But there's also a lot in our audience, a lot of people in our audience who, who are responsible for organizations that are also saying, who should I be hiring? What should I be moving towards? You know, and so I really want to hit those two things in this discussion. And when we'd first, a couple of weeks, it was a month ago, when we were kind of first bouncing ideas off of each other, we were making fun of Joel King, which hopefully he's listening, um, and the articles that he'd written about unicorns and other things that were, were kind of confusing, but still very much on point with regards to, and there's articles we refer to at the end of the show, but what is, you know, what is it? Is it the top five skills we need to really look at? What's the right thing we should be pushing for? And so in our conversations, I tried to go through and kind of encapsulate them uh, but I think we need to work through these. And so the first one that, that came up and I was it was interesting because the first time it happened I was surprised and the second time and onward I had to pretend to be surprised because obviously I'd already heard it. But you guys all jumped at soft skills. So when you talk about soft skills being something very important, uh, almost an intangible though that you look for in a person you want to work with uh, or you know is expected of you, each of you guys are are, are obviously living this world as well. Um, let's start with John, because I'm going to keep starting upper left and I'll pick on different people over time. But when we say soft skills in this area, John, what comes to mind? What's important? How should we break that topic down? That part of it?
1: Yeah. So to me, soft skills, and it's, it's an anti-pattern to exactly what this tech tech talk is, right? It's usually technology. Um, but it's interesting because the way you're going to use technology is really crucial on how your soft skills are. If I'm going to break down process of tech, right? I want to use different tools or, or things as we would consider them to be hard skills. I need to f- figure out how I'm going to introduce, take feedback, utilize, uh, I don't know, resources that may not be normally uh, accustomed to me, how we break down processes. All of those to me are soft skills. And a lot of them come down to just communication. Can I communicate to Kareem? Can I take feedback from Kareem and make that constructive? right? Like it's not just dictation or question. That's all soft skill. If you can think about it in that capacity, it translates, eventually it trans- translates to things like project management, where I, you know, I have to work with another individual and I have to get information from another individual. Mm-hmm. And so much of the stuff that we'll go through today is uh, part of it. I, well, maybe we'll, uh, we'll foreshadow like troubleshooting. It's, it has to give me back feedback and I have to be able to accept yeah. that. So, so much of it is soft skill.
0: We are going to get to troubleshooting, and, but that's not on the current topic list. But I think we need to ask Kareem. In fact, Kareem, why is it so hard for you to communicate with John? I uh, made right to that. Uh, you yeah, know, he just doesn't do think about man. soft skills. You agree? <laughs> Communication?
2: Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. The being able, uh, having the the. Being able to collaborate within a team is really important, right? And uh, one of the things that we actually teach about um, in automation is you're not going to be that guy that knows everything, right? You're going to have to collaborate. Whether you're a developer or a DevOps person looking to move into, you know, that role within with a you know a group of network engineers, you're going to have to listen to their skill set, which is you know their CCIEs. They know their network inside and out. Meanwhile, you know the developer side, so you have to collaborate. You have to, um, you have to leverage the collaboration tools that you have at your hand in order to be able to to collaborate effectively, right, and efficiently. So we talk about, you know, we talk about Git being the the protocol to be able to kind of integrate and collaborate in that sense, right? So. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, soft skills is the start and you have tools that can help you, but you need to be able to work as a team. Um, no one brings everything to the table. You have to be able to work together.
0: Yeah. Rest assured. I want to get into the tools and techniques and and instead of having everybody comment on soft skills, I think in general, some of the things that you guys had all said, it was around is being flexible is understanding that, that these are, um, and I can't remember, I apologize, when you said it, no sacred cows uh, in, in the sense that um, everything has to be about how does the group move forward? How do we get through bottlenecks? And you want team members who have those soft skills to be able to do that. Now, to be fair, I would say these soft skills that you guys mentioned are probably something we want in employees, even if they're not on the developer side. Um, you know, we want people who have good hygiene. Uh, we want, you know, and these kind of things. But, but yeah. no sacred cows... Another thing you guys mentioned a lot that I think is important is, um, and again, I can't remember who, but uh, I'll tell you what, let's ask Tim about this one, is about understanding or embracing failure. And so as we kind of round off, I think we're we're solidly on the right track here on a top five is saying soft skills, but ability to understand that failure is part of a process. Tim, what are your thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, Rob, I think that ties very nicely into the conversation about soft skills is I learned uh, mm-hmm. Years ago, uh, in in infrastructure operations, two things make you valuable. One, never making mistakes, because those are the things that uh, get you to have to brush up your resume. Yeah. And the other is keep things that are proprietary to you close to the vest, because I I that's what long. makes you valuable. And okay. uh, yeah, and, like uh, there, and keeps not, you from not being replaced. Not,
0: not letting yeah. Down your guard. <laughs> so,
4: yeah. So uh, I, I think what I've I've learned most uh, about how these soft skills are are essential to translate into really becoming a, a developer operator of an infrastructure environment is you have to be willing to share everything. Yeah. And you're gonna build systems that are failure proof to an extent so that every time you fail, you'll, you'll have the opportunity to treat it like a shameless form of learning. So encourage people to fail, make mistakes and soak in all that learning. Um, It just makes everybody better. And I don't think it, as I learned, uh, uh, I don't think it devalues you to do that. Yeah.
0: No, I appreciate people because often people realize when we make mistakes. And I think I tend to appreciate people more when I work with them if they just acknowledge it and move on, because I'm certainly going to make a lot of mistakes. And if we have that environment, I think we can all move forward a lot more quickly. And we're not operating on bad information because one or two of us perhaps are trying to, um, to cover up, uh, you know, different things, but you know what? It comes up because, uh, we're dealing with new stuff constantly. And so we all have to be very open, uh, to admitting that I may not have learned what Kareem knows, but that doesn't mean Kareem would think less of me. I don't think then, you know, if he realizes he just knows, Hey, I learned this and this could help you when you're learning this. And there's probably things I know that he doesn't know, for instance. Um, Okay, I think soft skills are easy to understand. Let's get specific on tools and technologies. Um, I'm gonna start with Corey, since I hadn't called on you yet, Corey, but when it comes to, how, let's do it this way, how important are tools to uh, kind of the top list of of, uh, of skill sets, tool knowledge? How important is that in that type of list?
3: Yeah, no, I I think that kind of uh, tack on or follow on to what John and, and team were saying around soft skills is really important. And why is it important? Uh, tools are, this, are, are are really important. However, we have to understand how we'll leverage those tools in in the process and the greater vision of what you're trying to accomplish. How is that How is that automation going to be consumed by different uh, users? How are you going to build a platform around around that automation? So I use the analogy of, uh, of what happened to me this weekend when I was doing some leaf blowing, right? Okay. So um, in the process, my six-year-old decided that he wanted to help me out. And I, th- I figured, you know what? I'm in a stage right now where I need to pick up these leaves and put them in the bag. So I'm using a rake. So here's a leaf blower. Well, it while I gave him a tool, he didn't understand the process, nor did I communicate that process efficiently to him on how to leverage that tool, <laughs> and it made the problem worse. Uh, I spent five times uh, more, uh, five times longer, putting those leaves in the bag. Right? Yeah. Uh, we had fun in the process. It was sure. all fun, fun and games in the end. But um, you know, you, you learn your lesson that way, right? So understanding that, hey, first what, what am I trying to accomplish? And then we're the right tools. So, yeah, uh, fundamentally, uh, I think, I think you have to understand some of the pro- protocols first, uh, from a rest perspective or from, um, uh, a soap perspective, whatever the protocol or endpoint you're automating against, but there are tools that help you kind of get there a little bit faster. So if you look at configuration management tools, like Ansible, Puppet, Chef, they abstract some of the API layer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, infrastructure code technologies like Terraform to help kind of stand up and destroy infrastructure really quickly. Um, again, those are great tools, because they get you up and going really quickly, but uh, fundamentally you also want to understand some of the core uh, protocols that you're working against.
0: So, okay, this brings to mind then, and I'm glad you brought it, and thank you by the way for bringing in the whole parenting side of our audience as well. We're very inclusive here and I like that. And uh, so good, good stuff to pass along no matter what your angle here. Um, what do you guys think, uh, you know, is it more about understanding specific tools? Like you, you mentioned, Puppet, Chef, Ansible, infrastructure automation tools being one category of things. What's more important, understanding a specific tool or understanding a category of tools in terms of what that tool could potentially give you uh, to to be effective? You know, where's a balance and in, in where the chase that knowledge? Who wants to jump uh, in? I'll jump in on that one. Perfect.
1: I think the latter is more important right? latter being
0: you, categories, the latter being it? categories, right? Didn't, I forgot because, already what order I put things in, but go ahead.
1: <laughs> I was trying to, I blanked on what you called them. So I just oh, said, okay, ladder. Gotcha. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so and, that and works I, out. For calling you uh, out. <laughs> <laughs> No, the, uh, I think the latter is more important because that translates to something like a soft skill. I know that I need to do this. Yeah. Yes. I, I know that there's likely a tool out there in the world that can do it. Right. But if I can figure out that I'm going in that direction, then I think the tool becomes important. So take as an example, I want to do configuration management. There's a a plethora of configuration management tools. So I know that I need to look for something like that. This is the task that I'm I'm adventuring down to go to build. Now when I get to let me determine whether or not this tool is important to my environment, I'm going to look, this is going to sound cliche, I'm going to look in the tool Mm -hmm. to see if it can handle more than just one use case. Like tools that are coming out in the ecosystem right now, you can take Ansible Tower as an example, or I'll even plug like, you know, Nginx Controller. If you're building on some of those tools right now, they do both personas. So I know I want to solve a configuration problem. I'm going to go to Ansible Tower. I'm going to go look in this thing. I could do it that way, but the really good tools that are out in the ecosystem give you both. This is how I would build it in a UI. This is how I would build it in an API. And it's presented to me. And to take that... uh, I don't know, let's take an analogy from Corey. Like if if Corey wanted to get his, I don't know, yard cleaned with his kids, he could have presented that as the option to them, but he didn't, right? So it wasn't necessarily the best tool for the job, right? It would have been the tool and instruction. And I think that that's the products that you're looking for right now in the space is tool with instruction, not just a a hammer or a blow, uh, a leaf blower. blower.
0: I'm picturing Corey with a a PowerPoint and a six-year-old. Like, all right. <laughs> if Let's I mean, understand I, the process here. First, it's all about mindset. So, so, are you listening? Yeah, go ahead, Kareem. I may jump in, Rob. Yeah.
2: Here on uh, just to add to what uh, John was saying is, um, I, I think I think the as you're starting your journey, you have to define what is the problem you're trying to solve, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And yeah. as you try, as you define that. Then you're gonna find yourself into the the land where I have all these options and or group of tools that I can that are available for me to access. And I think for me, um, not not only doing your homework and understanding what the tools are, you also have to count on the community. So I go out and look at who has what in their GitHub repo, who has what in in a kind of a nice clean learning process right mm-hmm. I, I was looking at taking on uh, terraform vault uh not terraform sorry uh HashiCorp vault um uh as as a project that i wanted to integrate with dnac right um I, I've, I've never used it before and i went on i went on on their site and i was like okay what do they have and then i found somebody else that you know used it that had a written a really great github um kind of a getting started with Vault and I looked at what, what, you know, what I need from that. And I started with it. So the community can be of a value to you and um, can, can, can also be a a tool um, that is kind of goes hand in hand with what you pick from a technology perspective.
0: I've been called a tool. I don't think that's what I don't know if that's That's totally different. Okay. Sorry. Not the right color probably either. Um, Well, and you bring up something, a couple of interesting things there, which is this notion of, and this kind of gets back into soft skills, but I, it's just something I've noticed working, both uh, in, in the developer community, and this actually has come up in a, in a lot of things I've been doing with worldwide technology where I'm Googling, like if, if I was working with you, I would be then next, I'm kind of, kind of looking around and searching on uh, HashiCorp and Terraform. And I'm, I'm looking that up and I don't fully understand, but I'm starting to get it together as I see things overlapping. But one thing I love is that it seems like one of the skills I think I would throw in the group is the, uh, is sharing knowledge. It feels like it's pretty much in the DNA of everybody that I've ever worked with in anything related to this. And you're saying how much that benefits. And you're saying, uh, look to see what other people have already accomplished because it may cut your journey a bit. Tim, I, I'm assuming you've leaned on experts uh, in that respect but if we're talking about categories of technologies make sure we stay on track here i was thinking of categories sorry is leading into that but source control seems like i remember mm-hmm. you know change control and that how important tim is is that to what we're trying to accomplish
4: rob i think what i've learned in the course of dabbling in a bunch of these different tools is the the top 3 tools are uh, the, across all automation go, go uh, mm-hmm. infrastructures are uh, version control version control uh, then i would follow that with version control and then make sure you have good version control to go with three, that. Thir- oh, wait, sorry, sorry.
0: Um, three, three, third was version, version, with a V? Version. That's version
4: control, yes. Got it, with a v. okay.
0: It's uh Rob, so it's important.
4: Okay. It, it, I think it, this ties back to soft skills also, but version control, in addition to being a mechanism that facilitates your build process, your deployment process, it's the tool that facilitates your organizational learning process. Yeah. It's what is going to kick off your CI/CD pipelines that tell you, oh, did did I make any mistakes in my code? Do I have syntax errors? Did I change something that I don't want to change? Or hey, did my code do exactly what I thought it was going to do? And then make all those failures and successes available to everyone yeah. else uh, in your organization.
0: Well, and I think yeah, so it, it would Git fall into that category um, as being a. I mean, because Git is often your source of truth that everything is going to refer back to, and now we're looking at infrastructure automation, and infrastructure is code, and it feels like you know Git is playing a central role. So understating that, if we were to call out specific tools uh, in there, anybody taking notes on on these specifics, obviously that one is, is huge. Uh, who was that, John? You were going to jump in?
1: Uh, Corey was, but I'll wait. Oh, Corey. he okay. goes.
0: Corey. Yeah, so...
3: The import, around the importance of version control, I like to bring it, uh, in one example in my work history yeah. where version control wasn't u- utilized properly. Um, so I'm not going to name names or name organizations, but I'll use this example. Uh, there was a SAN automation script that I came across once. where I, ju- I had just joined the organization and said, hey, where are we doing automation around SAN zoning? And they said, well, here's Sorry. here's the script in, in Git. I'm like, great, <laughs> I'm going to use that. Uh, yeah. Very exciting stuff. Love um, <laughs> yeah. so I went, I leveraged that script for my zoning. Well, when I was talking with somebody, uh, in my group the next day, they said, well, I use this one out of this service now KB article. Okay. okay. Well, that's the second spot for it. And then another person was like, well, I use one that's on my computer locally and it's not checked out of version control. It is whatever, whatever he copied down. And then the last one was I got it on this, this script server over here. So no, and there, when you looked at it, they're all different versions. And so there was no consistency around the code that was actually being leveraged to modify the configs in production. So it is very important to not only have version control, but leverage it appropriately and make sure everybody's utilizing it to whatever the best practice that you and your organization or team uh, have set forward. So that so everybody's using the same automation.
0: Yeah. On that same subject, uh, now, John, I'm sorry, I did forget. I did tell you, I would come back to you. Go ahead, John.
1: All right, so uh, we'll go to a metaphor here, and this is something I would look at even as I was trying to bring people into my team or to, you know, augment a team or in some capacity. You could think of source control as a sandbox, right? Like and not not like a sandbox to develop something in a literal sandbox for where we have like four or three year olds playing in a sandbox and whether or not they can get along. Right. I'm I'm not going to say I'm above a four year old. Um, in my capacity for playing with tools or toys, you're in,
0: you're in good company. But
1: it's yeah. a really good gauge, <laughs> right? On whether or not you're gonna be good collaborating. So if if you have the the skill set of working in source control, it's meaning that the five of us are all playing in this this you know metaphorical sandbox together. We have tools and toys that all exist in there. And how can we interact with each other to get those things along? So what I'm looking to hire or augment someone, I'm gonna ask them, you know, what is your level? right? Not just do you own your own private repository? I don't care about that, right? Like, how did you do good deployments, good work with other individuals? Give me an example of how that was successful.
0: I'm flashing, I'm flashing over to a kind of a D&D example of where we're all comparing levels and go, dude, I'm a level five deployment expert, <laughs> you know, and this kind of thing. Oh, I was only level four, and but, but I've got a sword. Anyway, um, how important in Let's see who jumps in first. Without apologizing, uh, how important is it to understand specific cloud technologies? Like, I understand AWS, but I don't really understand Azure. Or do I need to know every cloud that's being used now? What's important here?
2: I think I could jump in. Uh, I think I think it's uh, I think it's important to understand the services that each cloud service is providing you, and I think it's important to leverage the the tools and the services that they give you for your need, right? So I'll give you an example. We, uh, one of the things that we did, uh, we were trying to, when, when WebEx was building out their teams and their bots and releasing that is basically how to easily deploy a bot and using, you know, and writing your own bot in WebEx, WebEx, right? Mm -hmm. And you've seen some of the stuff we've done in Cisco live, Rob, with that. And, So I wanted to find out a way how to connect uh, my webhook and get it up and running without having to, you know, get ngrog and open up a tunnel and all of that. You know, I'm not going to get too technical. But so I went out to AWS and they had this really great service called API Gateway, where basically you leverage your API Gateway to go out and you point it to a Lambda function. Within five minutes, I was up and running uh, with my bot. So I didn't need to actually deploy anything on my side. So it's important to understand it. It doesn't ha- you don't have to utilize everything you know, it's not, there could be a use case where it's better to yeah. use your own infrastructure.
0: Well, how much do you guys ever, and this is more of a personal question, but does in that situation, do any of you ever get hung up on whether or not that, like say it took you five minutes, do you get hung up then on, on asking, is this the best way I did, should do it? or was there a better way, something more elegant, something I'm obviously overlooking, how much brain lock can you get into with these kind of things? All the time.
4: Yeah. yeah. You, you I should be continuously
0: fully... looking I'm to improve ask. that. Okay. I'm going to have to call out people's names. I can tell. Okay. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'll just keep, I'll do the, the randomizer thing, but yeah. So in other words, John, what you're saying is, is it's a real thing. But you need to be cautious, perhaps, of not getting wrapped around that, you know, kind of, uh, what is it called, analysis paralysis of uh, rethinking it too much. At the same time, I would imagine, I don't know, maybe it's logic because I always get hung up on, um, of of course, cost could be a thing. You know, did I do it through AWS and I really could have done it for free elsewhere or... Uh, or you know, or just set up my own technology to be able to do I don't know. I, I get wound up yeah. on that stuff and then I lock up and I, I go watch Netflix. Um, yeah,
3: the, Rob, just, just yeah. To kind of add it in there. I think there's two, as I was thinking about the way you're talking yeah. about that, I think there's two main things in the spirit of like continual learning. Um, there's two main things that the infrastructure engineers that I work with on a day-to-day basis that are a lot of times more focused on on-prem type workloads is two things. One, the cloud is, is here, right? It it is going to be our market going forward. So you need to be learning and understanding those technologies. What are they doing? How are they exposing the different networking technologies, different storage technology, compute technologies? And then how are they layering PaaS and SaaS on top of that? Um, And then also to understand and look at how they're presenting their services back to their customers. from an API perspective, from a portal perspective, and then try to internalize that and think about how you're exposing your automation to your customers, whether that be somebody that wants to expose it through a portal like a ServiceNow front end or expose it using code like leveraging Terraform or Ansible inside of a Git repository that's then sent down a pipeline to consume that that code for deployment. Um, So those are two main things. One, spirit of learning, always trying to learn something new when you're in Back the automation the when you, I love it. Okay. Yeah. So that when you're automating, sense. it is yeah. very important, um, uh, to be looking at learning new technologies, new ways of doing things, um, as you go about that journey.
0: That's a good point. Um, that makes sense to you guys. Anybody want to argue with them? I, I I'm not successful getting you guys to argue at all. I'm realizing.
2: <laughs> no. so, yeah.
0: Okay. I,
1: so I don't want to argue with it, but I, I see clouds as categories. Right there, okay, good, good, good. there are okay. use there are use cases for each cloud, and then there are use cases to t- say take a technology to all three of them. Um, the use case meaning the category. I need to put it in some kind of infrastructure as a service, right? Like I know I need to. I, I don't want to run this on on premises. I want to put it someplace else. So I have a category that it needs to go somewhere. But then as a as a contributor to the business, I have a fiduciary part where I need to decide is this the better of those offerings. Which one should it go in? Like one cloud may have incredibly powerful analytics. One cloud may have incredibly incredibly powerful identity and access management tools. What's the business use case for choosing that category? So I think that's important. Um, and if you're looking to go as a, as a hiree or apply for a job, or if you're looking to hire someone, ask it in that way, yeah. right? Like my business is online sales, right? And it is a ton to do with driving user experience by them logging into a portal. Which cloud would be best for me? Like, ask it that way, right? Yeah. Or if I'm gonna go apply for a job, I better know what that company does, right? And phrase it that way when I'm ask, when I'm answering questions or bring it up.
0: You know, you guys all work with, with customers at various levels as well as within your own organizations. Because it's funny, as, as much as an F5 or a Cisco or a worldwide technology is educating a community and participating in stuff like this, you're also an organization in and of yourself that's trying to get better at publishing and organizing your APIs, at at working with your developers to uh, to have a. Uh, kind of a cloud mentality uh, in terms of how things are being built and structured you know we see more products coming out of all these companies mentioned above you know that are much more uh, cloud native um, and thus have a different set of uh, access to them and and a flexibility and stuff that we're all pushing for but it but it takes a while to get all these things moving do you see does anybody see with your interaction with customers do you see cloud religion ever becoming a, an issue like someone goes oh well cloud we equals Amazon or cloud equals Microsoft whatever it may be do you see some people getting too wrapped around that and because of what i hear John saying and i think you were nodding your heads is that you should not have a cloud religion it's about what do you need to get accomplished and one versus another may be better at actually getting that done yeah, Tim.
4: absolutely uh, and and i think those the religious battles uh, will will always be there over yeah. different uh, software providers OEMs i think what we try to emphasize is it's very important as you said focus on developing what you're developing to be written in a cloud native way a way that's very cloud friendly that becomes portable you may not be in the cloud today you probably will be at some point tomorrow and there will be some services that at some point make sense to split between different clouds uh, whether it an on-premises cloud or or, or co-location hosted cloud Think of learning and using things like uh, containerization technology and other things that package whatever you're doing in a way that it can move wherever it needs to be to fit whatever business goals uh, continue to present themselves to you. Okay, and, this and one don't, came don't
2: just use it for, sorry, Rob, um, don't no, just use it, it go ahead. for. It. Go ahead. <laughs> What the heck? Don't just yeah. use it for for the for the buzzword, right? Just uh, it's okay. not it's not that, right? You just don't be like, oh, because I'm using cloud now. No, it's not. It's what your use case is. Somebody right? else's data center. And so, yeah, exactly. So that's
0: keep uh, no, that in no, words. no problem. No, I do want you to interrupt, but I like I like making you think that I didn't because it's just fun. Um, <laughs> so this was mentioned earlier. I think it was actually you, Kareem. uh, but forgive me, testing and troubleshooting is a category because we talk soft skills and we talk tools from a categorization perspective. So a couple of good things there. But third on the list, at least as I'm making up this list, is is skill sets around testing and troubleshooting. And I think that's both, I mean, that obviously is a tool. It's obviously a soft skill, I think, because there's a, you know, we all know people that we wish could think more logically and explain a process in a way that allows you to dissect it and improve upon it, which to me is uh, and we know not to mess with an experiment, you know, with too many variable changes, you'll never figure out how you got there. But where, who wants to weigh in on this? I'm looking at my screen now to see Corey talking about testing and troubleshooting as a skill set. Should that be in the list of top five?
3: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, I'm going to circle back on a several different topics here, right? So, from yeah, a troubleshooting perspective, um, we as infrastructure engineers or infrastructure managers that 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 have a bunch of engineers reporting them. We are really good about troubleshooting really complex situations. And so mapping that back to more of a business process, troubleshooting the business process and and taking in information and and breaking that down will help you go a long way. Right. So when you're looking at trying to develop your soft skill, you probably have some of it. You just need to re re hone it into uh, more of the business uh, business way of looking at it. Yeah. No, I completely forgot the other part of your question. That's so right. I'm going we'll get- to interrupt <laughs> and when it hits you
0: again, uh, come back. But so Tim, have you run into troubleshooting skill sets in your year of experience? How often <laughs> have you had to come back and yeah, you admitted, you made a few mistakes here and there. I imagine, you know, how you break that down and figure it out. Does that become part of your, uh, your daily routine? Yeah,
4: plenty of mistakes and counting. And I think what I've learned is learning how to write and use automated tests from the outset of whatever it is that you're automating uh, is that is your superpower because okay. think of yourself and we get asked a lot, uh, by our clients, you know, gosh, isn't automating introducing risk of automating failures or outages or, or, or things we don't want to deal with. Well, sure. But no stunt man gets in a cannon to try a new death defying stunt the first time without having a safety net. So mm-hmm. build those safety nets. Uh, and make as many attempts as you need to to uh, clear the ravine through the cannon, but uh, know that you don't have to do it alone. Those automated tests are there to give you quick feedback and let you know if you made a mistake before that mistake makes its way into a situation that causes you a problem.
0: Yeah, I like that automated testing. That's pretty much it, understanding how you, who was it? Kareem, was it you? We were talking yesterday. I think it was Oh, John talking about the fact that if you need to know how to test your own code because that's just part of the regular process of how you deploy um, and and it's just something that's happening as a natural part of your own loop uh, am I stating that correctly
1: yeah I, I think that's that's pretty close <laughs> to what we were talking about yesterday. Correct. yeah <laughs> The the I guess there so there's two parts to the question and I want to add to Corey's and then I want to add to Tim's the first part is the collaboration part, right? Network engineers for forever at this point have been incredibly good troubleshooters. So that leads to the example of why you probably want a dynamic team, not just four individuals that all have the same skill set, but one individual that maybe is a network engineer, one engineer, one person that is a developer because each of them are going to work off of each other, right? If if I have to solve problem, I'm probably gonna go to someone that has to solve problem on a daily basis, right? Yeah. How could I how could I do this better? Now, it may not be that both of them have the same skills and they, they shouldn't arguably because of this point, right? But now I have something to build off of to work from there. Now, that was the first point. So yes, dynamically build your team. Don't build a team around four individuals or eight or you whatever your or
0: size you is. You want a diverse culture. Yes, okay.
1: yeah, and the other one is um, the feedback in, in which you're building mm. something. Okay. Tools that you're looking to use right now still do communication. So if I'm going to use Ansible and I'm going to say, build me a, a VPC, right? In AWS. What Ansible gives back to me is information. When it's done, it gives me the name of the VPC, maybe the ARN, some kind of information about it. That gives me information that you know, takes me to the next step. So I can take and build my functional tests, right? So the first step is I built a VPC. Cool. The next step is did it co- did it actually get built the way I thought it was going to? I can progress to the next thing. So I'm moving in this little incremental feedback loop yeah. while I'm building out the next phases. So yes, it's like you can you will fail, but that failure is not really a failure, it's a response, right? Yeah. And if I'm having a communication with someone, I'm looking for the response and how I move into the next part of that conversation or the next part of that tool chain.
0: I'm realizing that because of my over-talking, we're dragging on past our our, our commitment to 37 minutes in this thing, but we're only through three and there's two more uh, to come up here. But I'm also thinking that how important it is tying back again to the soft skills is that you wanna test so that you can fail early because you wanna uncover those challenges from what I understand as you're contributing code, it's gonna become a much bigger issue if those things aren't caught and immediately addressed and then continually updated, uh, kind of the CI/CD principles, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, I'll get to recommendations to do next. Uh, how important these days? This is number four on my list: coding and scripting expertise. Um, let's go to Tim again. Uh, Tim, do you feel like scripting is still a necessary skill in this environment? You got. You mentioned so many great tools. I just wonder if that's still a something we should work on.
4: I do think having some base of ability to write scripts or write in a programming language, it really doesn't matter what it is. It's it's the language that's going to fit your use case and your business requirements the best. Um, understanding how software works and, um, and and being able to work through that logic is what's going to allow you to take your expertise in whatever your technical domain is and it really turn it into a situation where you, from your hand watering your grass all day to where you've got an automatic sprinkler system. So I like in building, uh, learning how to write code to learning how to install a sprinkler system. Look how much more time you'll get uh, to do other things just from learning one thing and your lawn's still gonna look great.
0: I like you, Corey, Corey and Tim are like our metaphor experts mm-hmm. as well. You guys keep bringing in good stories to kind of, yeah, that's actually, that's a great way to put it. Um, my problem with the watering system in the lawn is that I set it so that it goes off at night and then I have to remind myself. And so I have a a repeating routine once a month to go check it to make sure that there's not a busted head. That's just simply flooding the street at night. And I don't realize it. Uh, Anyway, another issue, another call. We'll cover that one. Um, All right, we're going to go forward and I'm going to say coding and scripting obviously still is a big play here. And it's a precursor to understanding also how a lot of these tools work. Um, because it's a lot of how your problem solving is going to happen at the, at the beginning end of things. Um, but I, the last one I had, and I didn't tell you I had this one on here and I'm purposely going to ask Corey about this one, but I want all you guys to weigh on this, but we're going to make this our fifth and final. Uh, uh, Cause this is relatively new in the area, but certifications. And so Corey, I'm starting with you and not uh, others on purpose, but how important are certifications and um, is that going to become a gro- Is that a growing area? Does, does someone need to consider Certain specific certain certifications in this area and would that be good for employers? Would it be good for their career?
3: Yeah. So, as an individual contributor, um, certifications help you in t- uh, two main ways. I think one is it's validating your knowledge. Um, so, when you go to apply for that next job, or when you look for that promotion in your c- current employer, or you know that you get that raise at the end of the year, it's really important to be able to show that yes, I've learned this this capability. Uh, the other piece of it is also goal setting. Uh, I want to learn this new set of technologies. I want to learn how to be, you know, a um, DevNet specialist in the in the case of Cisco. Um, and so, having that that goalpost that you're trying to work towards um, is really important. Gives you something that you can easily obtain, right? Or I don't want to say easily, but you can obtain through through uh, study groups or or um, reading books or just getting into uh, different labs or or Different web pages that might give you the information. Um, it's so certifications are still really important, um, but yeah. at the end of the day, as well from a business perspective, you want to make sure you're taking that knowledge knowledge that you you have gained and sharing it across your teams, as well as implementing those uh, as those tool sets, those those processes that you learn through through getting that certification. Uh, make sure you actually um, actually implement uh, those yeah. in your day to day basis or day to day job.
0: When I was working on security certifications because of the last ones uh, that I'd ever actually pursued um, because I've done some of the DevNet training and we've got that as, as, as one of the resources that's good but um, it, but it's the, f- it's the fact that uh, you don't want to be a paper tiger. And you don't want paper, it, it was the term I remember being used. I think that's still a, a, a term someone would recognize. But basically, certifications are just simply one thing that, that can give you a, uh, the, so that on paper, you go, I've met these minimum requirements. And I think that could be very valuable for showcasing your ability in a certain area on paper. Obviously, when you get in front of someone, you're interviewing for a job, you want to be part of a new team. You're going to need to express more than that, that sometimes that's just the foot in the door. But it's also a structured way to pursue knowledge if you're not sure where to go uh, and what to do next. And so certifications could do that. And they're not just, obviously Cisco has come out with, and I'm most familiar with those. But uh, John, I'm just curious, beyond Cisco certifications, um, I got to think there's quite a few that are still considered valuable in the developer space that, that someone should not be overlooking. Uh, not to put you on the spot, but I'm just curious. I know you're constantly growing your team. Are there any other certification type things that you think would be valuable?
1: We look for, right now, we look for any orchestration tool. It's sure. it's not necessarily for the, be the, like the paper tiger, like you were referring to. Yeah. It's to highlight that they are willing to invest the time, right? So whether That's or not they're willing to, right? Because... It's not that you get to do that usually during business hours. Now there are you know events where you know a company will send you to training and you'll get a certification. But typically for these individuals or these people that are looking to hire or be hired, um, you're looking for someone that's willing to invest their own personal time in their growth because that's going to reflect on will they will they help will they change will they bring growth to the team as well. So yes, it's important. It's a differentiator. We'll call it that. But so to get you an interview, but. It's also, are you willing to invest the time?
0: Yeah, Um, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. But yeah, it's like it it is an indicator of the type of person you're looking at that maybe would uh, also involve some more questions that need to be addressed in the interview. And so it's not going to get you the job. uh, But as you said, maybe it opens an extra door or two to enable you to have those conversations as well. So. That was really the five I had, and we'll let everybody, I think there's a chat room going as well, and we'll continue to weigh in on what's happening with, uh, whether or not anyone agrees with our top five, but we had soft skills, tools and technologies as a category, testing and troubleshooting, and the number four, coding and scripting expertise, and then five, just because I wanted to make sure it was in there, that there's there's a, there's a, point to be made with regard to certifications there's a bunch of other stuff we didn't get a chance to get to it's an ongoing topic but that's what makes this fun uh, i appreciate all you guys taking the time to uh, uh out of your day your personal time if you will to contribute to this conversation um but uh, also for a call to action, I just want to mention a couple of things. I'm just going to do this myself. We're, we've got a couple of good articles posted. We made fun of Joel King earlier. Um, but uh, hi, a couple of good articles at WWT.com around hiring and developing unicorn employees. I'll let you go look at the article to understand what we mean by unicorn uh, because it may not be exactly what you're thinking. Um, and then top infrastructure automation and architecture considerations. And then also Worldwide Technology has a programmability foundations lab that I encourage you guys to check out. Bottom line, Worldwide has done a really interesting job here, pre-pandemic even, of making their worldwide uh, uh, ATC, or the technology center that they've got in St. Louis, available remotely. And this was done before we knew we going to to have that we were going to have to do this. And that's a resource for you guys to be able to play with technologies like this, to be able to engage with experts like this, uh, and to be able to move forward. Please don't overlook that at wwt.com. But guys, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your wisdom. And to those of you watching the show as well. Please check out future shows. We actually have it. We, we've got a, uh, some interesting cloud expertise coming up on on a, on a show next. I don't know exactly when that's going to roll out, but you're not going to be able to stay in touch with us unless you go to wwt.com and get engaged. Appreciate your time today. Thank you for watching Tech Thirty Seven. My name is Rob Boyd. We'll see you on the next one.